Have you ever had those times where uh, in the beginning you were so fired and charged up and excited about what God was doing, right? You know, and he has saved you and, and you come into this new life and kind of get into your first Bible study and you start sharing with others things that are going on in your life and you're just excited and you're passionate about it. But after a while, it tends to kind of wane. You ever been there? You kind of, uh, you know, you kind of get into some normalcy back into life, and before you know it, that same passion or joy or excitement uh, doesn't seem to be there. And even uh, our, our faith can start waning a little bit, uh, our relationship with him and our commitment to his plan. And so there's a need for us to be recharged or reminded. And so today, the title of the message is Recharge Your Passion. Because when we got saved, we put all our energy into reading our Bible, going to church, and learning in the Bible study the wonderful truths of God. And maybe even you, like myself, we started to fade a little bit. And you could answer the question, have you lost your zeal? Have we lost our zeal, our enthusiasm and passion? And as we look and examine that, that word a little bit, uh, the Greek transliterated word for zeal is zelos. And zelos means to be excited of mind, to be fervent of spirit, to be passionate in our support for persons, a cause, an idea, and a person in the form of Jesus Christ and what he's done and his wonderful work. And then there's some synonyms to that word, being fervent or being fiery, having some fire shot up in your bones, right? being passionate, committed, and even eager and earnest to share what God has shared with you, to be stirred up. Because I re I'm reminded that someone told me a long time ago, they say, Jeff, if you're not excited about it, nobody else will be either. If we're not passionate about the things of God, we can't accept, expect anyone else to be. If it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't move us, and we're walking around looking all humdrum and sad. People are like, I don't want none of that. That's not what I'm looking for. Because everybody wants to be a part of something good. Nobody wants to be a part of something bad. And if it's coming across like it's a chore, like, it's a, like we're all beat down by it, and we get caught up in laws and legalism, and we miss the joy and excitement of the Lord, it's going to be hard to be able to share that in the way that God desires us to share it. Because passion should be infectious. Should be so, so much so that it just, it, 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 it breeds more and more excitement for the things of God. And so I'd like to share with you uh, a, a passage of scripture over, over and I, I'm assuming he was a young man. The scriptures doesn't tell us a whole lot about it, but this man named Stephen. Anybody ever heard about him? This man named Stephen, if you would turn with me to your Bibles, to the book of Acts, the seventh chapter, verse 51 through 58, let us just kind of get a little glimpse here. Because much like Stephen, as we look at this, he was called by the Jewish 
leaders of that day, and he was being judged, and they called him before to be judged of them. And Stephen is standing before them. And we see a little bit of this in Acts, the seventh chapter, verse 51. And here's what it reads. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. <laughs> you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them with which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the dispensation of angels, and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witness laid down, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And so as we look a little closer, we see in the book of Acts that the church is forming, and there are many that are coming to Christ and are accepting him as Lord and Savior. And there is a need to appoint and anoint men to do the work to love on the people, to care for them. And so Stephen is one of the men that we see in the sixth chapter of Acts that's called to serve the people. In Acts, the sixth chapter, verse 5, it says, And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Ghost. And so Stephen was operating in the gifts that God had given him. He had allowed God to speak to his heart. And so he was already, before they even chose him, before they appointed him before they anointed him. He was full of faith in the Holy Ghost. He was excited about what God had done and was doing in his life. And then we see in the book of Acts, the sixth chapter, eight verse, that and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. And so he was going out of the overflow, we can imply that, that because God was speaking to him, God was sharing with him that he was now doing the work. See, I love what James said. He said, I'll show you my faith by my works. Because he had faith and he was trusting in God, because he was abiding in him, the works flowed. And so we can also see in Acts the 6th chapter, verse 10 through 11, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. See, there's an implying there that because he was spending time with God, he was allowing God to speak speak to him that he was now able to speak with wisdom and he was able to speak with a, a spirit on him an anointing on him that he was fully confident in what he was saying and what he was sharing that it was from the Lord have you ever been there where you just could feel the spirit on someone that you knew that it was God speaking through them 
And see, that didn't begin when they got up there. It began in those quiet hours, in the midnight hour, spending some time with the Lord, that you shall know them by the fruit they bear. That they've been doing some, in some, some, some midnight hour type work. They've been putting in some overtime. And so we can see this coming out of this man, Stephen. It goes on to finish and say in Acts the 6, chapter, verse 10 and 11, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they, then they stubborn men which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. See, he was debating with them. And, and so they were within the stubbornness of their heart, not wanting to receive. They said that he was blaspheming God. And so they were trying to bring him before to be judged because in the, in the law of Judaism, blasphemy was worthy of death. And so here is this man, Stephen, being persecuted, coming against when he's just trying to be excited about what the Lord has done in his life. He's just trying to share the goodness of God. He's just trying to, you know, tell somebody about what God has done for him. You ever been there? Where it just seemed like people just coming against you? See, I remember my first days of coming to the Lord, and I remember on that day when Sergeant Brown had talked to me for two days at my reserve unit. He was being persecuted. He was being talked about. They were saying, man, shut up. We in drill. But he kept allowing the Lord to speak through him. And I could hear God speaking loudly. And I needed to do something with it. I left on that Sunday day, and I remember driving, and the Lord the Holy Spirit was reminding me of all the things in my life and how he had kept me from, how he had kept me from shootings, how he had kept me from being caught up in drugs and all these other kind of things. And because I was reminded that I was born in Fifth Ward in Houston, Texas, and they made gang-banging movies about that community. And so I was reminded that God had been with me. Now, was I going to trust him? And so as I was going down Normandy Road, see, just like Paul had a Damascus Road experience, I had a Normandy Road experience. And so I'm driving down the road, and I see the neighborhood and the, and the apartment complex I used to live in, and I just stopped my car. I couldn't go any farther. And I took everything that was in my glove compartment and that was in my car that represented my lifestyle in the world, and I just threw it in a dumpster. And the Holy Spirit got a hold of me. I said, Lord, I give up. I'm not only going to do it, I, I'm not choosing myself anymore, I choose you. And the Holy Spirit just like a wave. <laughs> and all I could do is just pour out tears in the car, and I was just praising. If somebody came by, they were like, what is wrong with him? He must be high. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and I remember leaving there, and I was so excited about God it, set me free. I could feel the chains being broken and coming off of me. And so all I went, the, the, the next step, I ran to my girlfriend at the time, not, my, not the love of my life, and I, and I told her what Jesus had done, and she gave me them, that deer in the head like, look. And so I knew that relationship wasn't going to continue. 
And then I left there, and I went, and I shared it, and I was sharing with my mom, and my mom, you know, y'all know the story, she asked me if I was in a cult. (laughs) And so it was uncommon to, to be excited about the Lord outside of church, outside of religion. So I had that experience with my mom, and it could have just kind of made you go, ah, maybe I shouldn't be so excited about it. But I couldn't help it. I knew that God had done something amazing. And I had heard about Jesus. I'd heard about the Jesus on the cross. And I had seen the Bible. Y'all know that memorial Bible in the house on the, on the nightstand that nobody touched? I had seen that quite a bit that had cobwebs and dust growing all on it. But I met him personally for myself. It was no longer religion for me. It was relationship. And so I even wanted to tell my church. So I went to my church, and at the end of the service, the pastor would always say, is there anybody that has a testimony? So I got up there in front of my church. Remember, I tell you, we, we shot at a drop of a hat over anything. And so I'm at my church, and I'm telling them what the Lord had done and how Jesus is real. And Jesus is not just a God, and he's not just a figure, but he is the God. And that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And he wants to save us and set us free. And so, you know, I didn't know at the time that I was a trendsetter. Because I was a trendsetter because we hadn't talked about the mic drop yet. And so I was up there giving the first mic drop. I'm up there and I'm sharing and I'm expecting, you know, that everybody's going to come running. And so I share all this thing. But see, what I didn't know about the mic drop is when you drop the mic, you're supposed to drop it and walk off. I didn't drop it and walk off. I stood there like. And you could have heard a pin drop in that place. It was quiet like crickets. And so I stood there through that awkward moment. Y'all know them awkward moments? (laughs) Nobody came. Nobody said nothing. And then my 70-year-old grandmother got up out of her seat. She walked towards me. She put her arms around me. And she said, y'all better listen to my grandson. He is telling you the truth. Jesus is the only way. He's the answer. And so my grandma and I, we kind of walked on out. And so maybe, like myself, you've had some moments that folks didn't, didn't respond the way you thought they should have. Maybe you've had some family members that have called you some indifferent things. And it's caused you to maybe think about drawing back or it stifled your high moment. If we're not careful, saints of God, we can lose that passion, that joy, and that excitement that God wants us to have. And just like Stephen, you can feel and sense the 
sense of intensity in the words and the passion in which he delivered them. As he's accused by these men, these, these brethren, and we look in this passage and we see that he uses a word. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. See, in the Greek, that word stiff-necked means to have, to be hard of neck, to be stubborn, to not just be stubborn, but to be passionately stubborn, refusing to turn the head in order to take a different path. See, we know that the word of God doesn't come back bored, that you're going to choose either to go his way or to go the other way. And so these men had made a choice. And see, we understand that Stephen just wasn't speaking out of his passion, but he was also speaking out of being learned. He had spent time with God. He went and he had shared with them. Uh, he didn't go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis, but he started with the Abrahamic covenant. And he laid it out how they, had, they didn't trust. They didn't lean upon God. And even when they were in Egypt and God delivered them, they wanted to turn back. They said it was better. And so he walked this road of sharing the Gospels. And this cycle, just like we see in the book of Jude, where they didn't turn away from God once. They didn't turn away from God twice, but 12 times, and they was in need of a deliverer. And so he's reminding them of their past and of these things. He's reminding them of this consistent stubbornness to turn to the, to the Lord. See, this depiction of the stiff-necked generation also gives us the illustration or reflection of an ox. Because they used to have what's called an ox goad. And ox are considered one of the most stubborn creatures known to man. And so they used to take this long pole and they'd put a spike on it and fasten a spike to it. And so to get this ox to move, they would stick it in the neck with the spike. Or they would stick it in the foot to get the ox to move. And at times, the ox would get so indifferent that it wouldn't move for anything. That it refused to turn and go in a different path. So through the Holy Spirit, Stephen is speaking to them and saying, you've been just like this. That you've been so caught up in your tradition, so caught up in the letter of the law, that you missed the intent of it. It's just to draw all men to the Lord, to draw us to Christ. That is not a rit ritual, but it's relationship. That God so desires for us to come unto him. And so Stephen was prepared in his knowledge and his wisdom according to scripture. But if he was not passionate about God and his relationship with Jesus and fulfilling the plans of God, he may not have possessed the strength to stand in the face of this adversity. See, saints of God, we can have the knowledge in our heads sometimes. But if we don't have the passion in our heart, when the tough times come, when the adversity come, 
we may not stay in. We have to be passionate, just as passionate about the Lord as we passionate about other stuff. There are some things in our life that we're so passionate about that nobody can knock us off. That we will fight them tooth and nail because we're so passionate about it. See, I used to be like that about the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> and I'm realizing now it takes more faith than work. <laughs> and so it's so important that we blend, that we stay passionate about our relationship with the God, with God. So what are you passionate about, saints? Maybe you're passionate about your kids. You talk about them. You pull out the photos, especially if you got new babies. Taking all those photos. Maybe you have a favorite song. Maybe there's a book you want to share with someone. Maybe there's some politics that you're passionate about. None of those things should supersede our passion for Christ. And it's because he's passionate about us. He's passionate about God, and he's passionate about us. Look with me in the book of John, the 12th chapter, verse 13 and 17. See, this is when Jesus sees the merchants doing business in the temple. He takes some time to make a scourge of small cords, and then he drives them out of the temple. He tells them to not make his father's house a house of merchandise, but that it will be a house of prayer. And at this point, when the disciples are watching all this, they're like, Jesus done lost his mind. He whipping people. He's intense. It's at this point that the disciples remember the scripture that was written in Psalm 69 that David himself said, the zeal of thine house has eaten me up, consumed me. The passionate desire, the enthusiasm for God's house, for who God is, has overwhelmed me. And so Jesus responded out of deep passion about God and his house. So much so that it overflowed and compelled him to take action. In order for us to be moved to take action, there must be passion. There must be a cause and effect. The cause is Christ and then others. Because Christ He's passionate about us. He's passionate about the things of God. And I'm so thankful that Elder Jonathan shared it earlier. Are you zealously affected by Christ? Maybe you remember Colossians, the second chapter, verse 6 and 7. Last year, we spent some time reminding ourselves of the importance of being zealously affected by him. It reads, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, 
as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. In other words, what you put in will determine what you get out. So Christ desires to continue to pour into us, to love on us, to walk with us, to be rooted and built up in him. And that doesn't mean you need to be jumping off the stage and, 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 and running with your hair on fire. But if you sharing or you talking and you like mumbling underneath your breath and you all sad face and looking like you you know, you're all beat up. Ain't nobody going to be too attracted to that. And so he's reminding us, just as Christ is so passionate about us, and just as you had that moment when you came to Christ and you received and you understood how much he loved you, don't lose that. Stir that back up. Because Paul's central teaching in the book of Colossians here is that the Colossians should continue to live their life in Christ. Just as they began by receiving input, Christ Jesus, and being rooted and built up in him. See, you know, Christ builds us up. He reminds us of who we are, whose we are and the plan and the purpose that God has for us. He's like, wait a minute, that, you, you're not of the world. You belong to, to me. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so Christ builds us up, establishes us, roots us, gives us an anchor for our soul. And so, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. So that word received in the Greek, really, it means accepting and affirming a certain thing. Receive, accept who God says you are. Receive all the fullness of Christ in your life. Let him come in. He says, receive. Don't leave nothing left. You know, in my house growing up, you couldn't leave leftovers. You couldn't leave stuff on your plate. They said you needed to finish all of it before you got up. Waste nothing. There's so much that God has for us. Saints, don't, let's not waste it. Let's not waste anything. Receive all the blessings and that God has for us. And out of that receiving, there'll be an overflow. It'll come out. You can't help it. You can't keep it to yourself. <laughs> and so the challenge this morning is to recharge your passion. Love what Galatians, the sixth chapter, verse nine says. It says, let us not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And so it's an emphasis there on that word faint. See, that word faint means to lose courage or spirit. See, the work can get so heavy sometimes if we're not careful, we can lose courage or spirit. Let me put it in a military term. There's a strategy in war. And this war is you don't have to always beat the enemy. If you can get the enemy to culminate, 
And that word culminate means to wear him out, to wear the enemy out so much that they run out of fuel, they run out of, of food, they run out of bullets, that they get so stretched out that they get so weary that they give up, that they faint, they lose courage, and they surrender. You know, that's the strategy of the devil. You know, he, can't, he cannot take our soul. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. You are sealed with a promise. And so his desire is to wear us out. So it's just like when you're in that weight room, because I know we got some folks that like to work out in here. Are you running out there? You know, and, and so how do you sustain? You, 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 if, if you're working out and you know you got to do 45 reps with those dumbbells, if you try to do 45 at one time, you're going to hit about 18, 19, 20, and before you know it, the muscle's going to give out. But if you break it up into three sets and you do 15, and then you sit, let it rest, let the muscle regain some strength and pick it up, you're able to do those 45. You're able to sustain. And so God is reminding us that we rest in him. We have strength in him. That all we're doing is running, that we will get weary. See, it's just like discharging a, a foam. At some point, you've got to charge it back up. If you just use it, use it, and never plug it into the source, it's going to stop working. And so as we look at this chart, you know, uh, uh, I'd say I'm a trendsetter. I made a chart. Recharge your passion chart. And so the well-doing, we're doing a work for the Lord. And if we're not careful, we can get weary. If we don't rest, if we don't allow ourselves to replenish in him, we wear out. And then before you know it, we faint. We lose courage. We lose spirit. We forget who we are. See, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5 and 6 says this. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. See, sometimes when we're going through those weary times, we forget who we are. Through those rough times. I remember my family used to say sometimes, they used to say, I ain't always been saved. When they're going through one of them rough moments, you ever heard somebody say that? They say, don't mess with me, I'll cut you. <laughs> I'm like, come on now. <laughs> we're not of darkness anymore. <laughs> You are of the light. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Be wise. Keep our eyes open. Understand that it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a journey with the Lord. Not in ourselves, but it's in him. In him we move and breathe and have our being. So it's so important that we recharge. There's a way to do this, and I love what 2 Timothy 1, verse 5 and 7 reminds us of. It reminds us to stir ourselves up. 
Paul said this to Timothy. He says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith, the sincere faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, there's an example of your life. And I am persuaded that is in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God. See, the gift that God has given us is the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the reminder, who reminds us of all spiritual truth. See, sometimes we're in those moments and we're discouraged and, and, and we don't feel like it. And, and, uh, and so it's so important that we stir ourselves up that we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, that we remind ourselves of God's word, his engrafted word that's able to save, deliver, and set free. See, Nehemiah said it best as he was going through so many trials. He said, remember the Lord, great and awesome. See, we need to stir it up. Remember who we serve. The Holy Spirit is there to help stir up, to comfort, to strengthen. And then it's so important that as we're going through this weary land, we are not, this is not our home. This is going to be weary. There's going to be some trials. There's going to be some tribulations. Psalms 84 verse 2 says when there's fainting, when there's the loss of courage or spirit, faint in the Lord. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. See, we can fall into to the Lord. See, we in and of ourselves, we're not strong enough. We're not able. See, where we're unable, he's able. Where we are weak, he's strong. See, it's him that's doing the work in and through us. And so we faint in the Lord. We say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I trust you. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. You ever been there? Well, your flesh was just aching, but like, Lord, my heart and my flesh cry out. Come, Lord. Help me in my hour of need. So we stir up the Holy Spirit. We faint for the Lord, for the Lord and his courts. And then you know what God is always ready and able to do? Zephaniah 3, 17 reminds us of this. To rejoice over you. See, they were going through all of this being taken into captivity. They were coming out of this bondage. And Zephaniah says, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. See, we can rest in the Lord. He will joy over thee with singing. You ever had that moment? Maybe you're at home and you're just like, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. Y'all would think I was a nut if y'all saw me sometime in those secret moments. 
because we kind of dignified here at church, but I hope you're not that dignified at home. I hope you can run around your living room and feel like it's all right. <laughs> and allow the Lord to just joy over you, to recharge you, to remind you that he's there, and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. That he's with you in the midnight hours. That weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That he's got an answer for every sorrow. That he's got strength for every weakness. That he's able when we're unable. That we can trust in his amazing love. And that just like the Lord rejoices, we can too. in his salvation, in his joy, in his love, he quiets the storms. He quiets the fears in you and I so that his passion can come out of us so that we can love on somebody. So that even in this weary land, we can be light and salt. And so that people will look at us and they think we're crazy. They wonder about us. But they go back. And maybe just like Paul, they had an experience. See, they dropped the clothes at Paul's feet when he was Saul. Maybe that was the first time, maybe there were times before that Jesus pricked his heart because he saw somebody that was passionate. He saw somebody that was radical, that stood in the face of adversity and said, I see the heavens open, and I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. And I don't know about you, but I think Stephen realized that Jesus had saw something that was worthy of standing. Saints of God, be passionate about the things of God. Allow the work that God has called you to passionately affect you. Be full of excitement. When you're weary, when it seems like it's going too hard, allow the Lord to comfort you, to strengthen you, to be enthusiastic and fanatical about what he's doing. Because the Apostle Paul said this in Galatians 4.18, he said, it is good. But it is good to be zealously affected always in good things. And not only when I am present with you. It's good to be passionately affected by the things of God. Recharge your passion in him because he's passionate about 